Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to another edition of Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. Now, for those of you who are new to the Radio Islam family, we welcome you. Thanks for tuning in. You can keep up with us by following and liking our pages on social media. You will find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast. So wherever you get yours at, if that's iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or Google Play, you will find us at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. All right, folks. Um, where do we start? This has been a... It's been a, a busy weekend, right? It's a holiday weekend, and that means that for the most part, families are getting together. It's a time to relax, try to catch up a bit. Um, and it's generally it's generally one of those times that we look forward to, right? Um, everybody needs to be able to recharge, right? But over this Labor Day weekend, ISNA, or the Islamic Society of North America, um, its full name, held its 55th annual convention in Houston, Texas. And this is one of, if not the largest annual Muslim conventions in the United States, with Muslim Americans coming from all around the country to attend. And as is fitting for the for the time we live in, uh, in a time where a television star can uh, somehow ascend to the highest elected office in the land by by fanning the flames of fear and hatred, uh, and that fear and hatred has been pointed particularly at Muslims and immigrants. So what took place at this convention is both disheartening uh, and also inspiring at the same time. Rashid Anahas took video footage of the heavily armed anti-Muslim protesters who showed up, and he wrote the following. The ISNA convention carried on calmly inside, even though there were a lot of things happening right outside the front door of the lobby. Muslim families were confronted by anti-Muslim protesters armed to the teeth with AK-47s and shotguns, holding up provocative signs like, Muhammad is a homo, and eat more bacon. Police quickly came and pushed the protesters across the street. Moments later, the New Black Panther Party and the Democratic Socialists of Houston, as well as the anti-fascist party, came to the side of the Muslims some also carrying weapons with signs like Stop Islamophobia and No Platform for Fascism, and organized a collective anti-protest. The Muslim Voice for Peace and Reconciliation, which is an Islamic organization that was participating in the ISNA convention, came outside to try and have a conversation with the anti-Muslim protesters, but were stopped by police for security reasons. Later, an anti-Muslim protester came to the other side of the protest, and a scuffle broke out, at which point three or four people were arrested. There was also a small presence of ex-Muslims of North America, protesters who were standing directly in front of the doors of the lobby, putting a microphone in people's faces as they walked out, asking questions like, Do you support ex-Muslim rights? In the middle of an Islamic convention, they were later banned from the Hilton Hotel for walking around at the Islamic convention wearing shirts that said, I'm an ex-Muslim. Ask me why. So let me go back for a moment and address one very important thing. Now, if the goal is to protect the United States from internal threats 
by protesting against people, you, and I'm talking about uh, and directly to these anti-Muslim protesters, then let's look at the facts and determine if your fear, right, because they listen too, if your fear is based in facts or if your fear is really just hatred. It has no real justification. And if that is the case, then I really don't know what dialogue is going to change your mind. But while you all protest Muslims and cast them, us, as a threat, let's look at the data. Let's look at the facts. Now, I think I can safely label most, if not all of you, the type of people that come to these anti-Muslim rallies and protest as Trump supporters. So that being said, last week, our nation endured yet another mass shooting committed by yet another white male which happens to be consistent with the overwhelming majority of mass shootings in the United States. So do you find yourself more suspicious or fearful of white males in general? Fact, between 1982 and 2017, 92 of 95 mass shootings in the U.S. were carried out by men. Of those 92 gunmen, 54 were white, 16 black, and 7 each Latino or Asian. The fact that Trump's protectionist and anti-immigrant rhetoric has found a home in the hearts of so many of you is a tribute to the power of storytelling. Now, whether based in reality or absolute fiction, stories are a powerful tool in shaping public opinion. Trump's stock and trade has been telling awful stories, screaming at the top of his lungs that the threat that Mexicans, now, and to many of you, they're all Mexican, uh, and Muslims present to the U.S., security is real. His disdain for African Americans, now that is a different conversation altogether, and uh, quite easily spotted in his attacks on African American professional athletes. But you believe that a wall on the border and tougher immigration laws will keep you safe when the facts show that the threat is already here. The threat is bagging your groceries doing your taxes, going to school with your children, and possibly in the church pew next to you. But no one is telling those stories. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back in a minute. This is Radio Islam on WCEV 1450 AM. The International Museum of Muslim Cultures and History in Jackson, Mississippi, hosts a historic national conference in partnership with the National Museum of African American History and Culture, Millsaps College, Tougaloo College, Sound Vision, and with support from the W.K. Kellogg Foundation titled Race, Class, and Religious Intersectionality in America, an Ongoing Struggle for Human Dignity. This is a candid conversation, including presentations by over 70 scholars, activists, elected officials, and thought leaders taking up the ongoing struggle for human dignity in the American experiment. 
The conference takes place September 6th through the 9th at the Weston Jackson, located at 407 South Congress Street, Jackson, Mississippi. Registration is $245 for adults or $450 per couple, $170 for students 13 to 21, and children under 13 are free. Register and find more information at muslimmuseum.org. We understand the roles you play. So to help, we created aarp.org caregiving, where you can connect with experts and other caregivers. Visit aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. Now, for those of you who are just tuning in, make sure that you are following us on social media. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And also take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. Wherever you get yours at, you will find us at Radio Islam USA. All right, as we mentioned um, in the opening, we talked a bit about, let's get this music out of here. We talked a bit about the ISNA convention and the anti-Muslim, anti-Islam protesters that showed up. And one of the things that we mentioned is that uh, these were heavily armed folks. Uh, These were folks that were, uh, as they say, armed to the teeth, Uh, uh, AR-15s or AK-47s and um, shotguns and this is an open carry state and this leaves uh, this this brings up a lot of concerns so to talk through these things we're going to go ahead and open it up and bring in the impressive one assistant producer Ibrahim Baig Assalamu alaikum alaikum and a good buddy Bubba Murray how you doing? All right. Good. Good, good to good. be here. All right. Yes. So as we're talking offline about the just the, the vibe that's created when we're in spaces where this type of weaponry um, is out, and not just where you have one person, right, but you have – there was one group. You had the anti-Islam, anti-Muslim protesters, and I don't know what they're they, – they've got a group name. I just don't really care what it is. Um uh, but they're there, and then you have the Black Panthers and the anti-fascist folks, and uh, whoever else was there that shows up on the other side, and they they all have their weapons. What are some of the things that immediately come to mind uh, for you all, Ibrahim? Why don't, why don't you uh, take first stab at that? What first thing that comes to mind is the fragility of um, open carry, and how it's really just. Like hanging, like we're hanging on by a thread, and it seems to me like it's a disaster waiting to happen in a situation like this. You know, like as we were saying, if I'm in a, at a gas station late at night and I want to expose my piece or whatever just to feel safe, that's one thing. But you know, a big group of people with semi-automatic rifles on one side, and another group on the other side with semi-automatic rifles, and they're yelling at each other and they hate each other. This to me it just seems like a a disaster waiting to happen, mm. and I can't. Um, I can't see why people aren't more uh, upset about 
just that aspect of open carry. Hmm. But I just think of it as people being overarmed and putting themselves in a bad situation. Where it's, think of it like going to a Tupperware party with a machete. It makes no sense to be just that heavily armed for no reason to protest. I mean, to get the whole point is to have when you have these protesters out there, pro or con, you're having a dialogue. It could be a heated dialogue. It could be one where uh, you're, you're just seeding, getting out your rage, but you're doing it with your voice, trying to make your point heard. But like Ibrahim was saying, if you're tiptoeing around these issues with a semi-automatic rifle strapped to your back, there's just... It's, it's so easy to devolve into some sort of hysterical sense of violence where you're where you just your default is to go to violence rather than just to go to more discussion there's no way you're going to hear anybody out all you're looking at is who's got the biggest guns in a in a way it kind of undermines the idea of of there being a a midway point of there being of compromise or or dialogue even being possible now i am a second amendment uh supporter but I think even even when we say that, you say somebody says I'm a Second Amendment supporter, it's almost as if you're just kind of blanket, making a blanket statement as if I am just for gun ownership, uh, whatever, uh, however it presents itself. And that's really not the case. Um, I do think when it comes to these protests, it is it's really amazing that we have not had a um, that there have been no incidents, but this is something that, that I brought up in our conversation offline is that all of these firearms that these guys are walking around with, and these these are expensive firearms that they have, right? So these are all legally uh, uh, purchased. They've got receipts for them. These guys probably go to the range. You know, they are firearm owners as a part of their just as as, as a culture, which is much different than folks who are walking around with illegal firearms um, notwithstanding the fact that most of the mass shootings that have taken place have have been uh, committed with legally purchased firearms but still when it comes to these protests these guys are out in the open these are guys who have paid for these uh, paid a lot of money for these things and they are showing up with them and I think more so almost like showing up at a, at a rap concert with a with a gold chain on back in the day right mm-hmm. you just kind of wanted to look the part uh I don't know. I don't know if that's thinking less of them uh, or making it less of a threat than it really is. But I don't. I don't know if I really buy the whole thing. I think it, there's a lot of posturing that is going on. Um, I think. Well, my concern is. Um, my concern is not that people are going to blatantly, like, you know purposely fire the first shot and like purposely murder someone you know i remember like yeah. well many many years ago this was a discussion people had in the street too like oh why are you gonna get a foit card you can't even use it if you get a foit you know um so i'm not worried about yes there's a difference between illegal guns you can people can use them more easily to it's untraceable to a certain extent and so on right. that's not what i'm worried about i'm worried about even if it was two people these two opposing groups uh, and antagonistic towards each other, hating each other, you know, yelling at each other. And even if you gave them, like, knives or machetes, yeah. I would still be just as scared, you know. And then you bring into the mix these things like uh, 
the standard ground law in Florida. Now I'm making a little bit of a jump, a little bit of an assumption here that open carry states are also prone to have that kind of an attitude, that stand your ground type of an attitude towards uh, a shooting, Um, which seems like it favors um, white men. Mm I don't know the statistics on this or whatever, but it seems like from Trayvon and like all this stuff where normally like the white man will be assumed to be the one uh, defending himself. Right. Right. But anyway... I'm making the assumption that states with open carry have that type of a temperament, that stand-your-ground type of a temperament towards uh, guns, you know? Mm. And so add that into the mix, and it becomes... So So my fear is not really, like, which side is going to blatantly murder someone. My, my concern is it just takes one spark for the confusion and the chaos to be set off and something to happen, you know, start that way and not really the cloudiness in this mm-hmm. nebulous way who was first who's pointing the gun who's not pointing you know it just becomes chaos at that point and just something horrible horrible can happen see oh, well I was going to say for me my main issue is like the ease of getting types of guns and then getting guns that I believe are inappropriate now again I am not a gun carrier I don't have stats on guns. I'm not going to have stats on shootings for you. But this is just me coming from what I consider to be a common sense point of view. Mm-hmm. So, yes, if you are carrying illegal guns like you're talking about, I think people use those more dis- – they'll be more apt to use them because they're disposable. Right. You know, you can't track them, but it's just it, – there's a sense of – in a sense of non-ownership. So you're more likely to go through it like, like someone with an old cell phone. I also don't believe people should be walking around with these semi-automatic handguns. And as we were saying off, off, off uh, okay. the air, yeah. that I, I don't understand how you're going to protect yourself in a real in a real incident with a semi-automatic gun. The way people talk about with a handgun. And again, I'm not a big fan of handguns, but I can understand it. I'm not going to say you can't have one. But if you're you know, you're watching that movie Death Wish. And someone comes after you. You're not whipping out a semi-automatic handgun to save yourself. Or again, if you're going to go hunting, you're not bringing out a semi-automatic handgun to go shoot Bambi's mom. No, you're using a rifle, one shot at a time. But you're spraying a hundred bullets in ten seconds. There's only one reason to do that, and that's to cause mass destruction, carnage. It's not about protecting yourself. Because I only need to get hit by one bullet to be put down, really. Right. You know, you don't need to. You don't need to hit me with fifty others. So, so I feel like when people again are overarmed, they're they're more excited. Uh, mentioning this rush you get, it's that urge. Yeah, I want to fire this gun. You don't need to fire that gun to protect yourself. You are probably better off just showing your your uh, handle by pulling your waist back than trying to reach for a full-fledged three-foot-long gun and then try and aim it to shoot somebody who's three feet in front of you. So I, I, I feel like we just get caught up in those toys and those that they have and just using them but not being uh, responsible with them. I, I would add to my, to my earlier statement that even though I see these people in public more as, as posturing, uh, I do not... I do not in any way feel like they would not under the under the right circumstances use those weapons, uh, particularly in these states where they have a history of 
violence, particularly towards uh, minorities, whether they be African Americans um, or you know whatever. I mean, I could be wrong too. I feel like that's every um, semi-automatic rifle, assault rifle, whatever you want to call it. That's every one they're like those really militant guys. That's kind of their fantasy. Well, yeah, and 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 there's a history. I could be wrong. There's a well, yeah, possibly, but 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 there's a history that supports that uh, that that reservation uh, and that fear because you know it's there. I mean, the the numbers are there. Now, one thing that I I do see uh, within this as they continue to show up with weapons, uh, and the idea being that you meet force with force, right? That is, and then there's also the other, uh, which is I mean. It's, the nonviolent, this is odd, right? To have nonviolent protests where people are armed, right? It's it's a <laughs> bit of a, a it's a bit of a oxymoron, right? But there's not there's not really any dialogue that takes place. Um, but what I want to what I want to really throw on the table as well is the fact that these protests took place outside of a convention, a gathering of Muslims, and received just about no uh, real media coverage. Mm-hmm. And that I in itself... For it. I searched for it online. I couldn't find anything. Yeah. Like, I mean, I saw it. I had to find it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So that also says something about the time that we're in, right? Because if this was... There's no way in the world that they could show up at a synagogue, right? No way in the world and it not receive any type of um, major media attention or to, or to gather a, a Christian uh, a Christian gathering you know it's, it's no way could Muslims have shown up at you know at a, at a seal um, uh, at a church of God in Christ convention armed no heck no <laughs> I mean with rocks <laughs> I'm just thinking like you're holding a bunch of rocks out there just uh, it's over and, and I'm serious. Yeah. It's over. The police are gonna mow you down. Yeah, uh, it's it's definitely uh, inequitable in in the approach to these sort of events. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they have. A, they'll find a way to justify the lack of coverage, mm. probably by saying that they don't want to escalate things. If, they, if the media had come and all this stuff had happened, then even more protesters on both sides would have would have uh, you know converged on the area and then that would have caused even more chaos or whatever but mm-hmm. yeah it's it's, um, it's hard to find a very satisfying answer to that question yeah well I think it supports the narrative and that's one of the things I mentioned uh, in, in the opening in the intro for tonight's uh, program which was that just talking about how President Trump he's a storyteller as all politicians are you know you, you make your mark uh, and you build your constituency and support by telling stories, by telling a particular narrative that that's going to resonate with the folks that you want to that you want to vote for you, and his narrative has been that uh, Muslims are dangerous, uh, and and I use just just saying Mexicans, right? Because as far as they're concerned, everybody's a Mexican. It doesn't really matter, you know, if you're from Ecuador, Guatemala, Honduras, whatever. So, but you're all dangerous, and in that type of um, in that type of context. It just it removes it removes those folks from from having any uh, any agency when it comes to self defense or or protest that goes anywhere outside of appearing to be totally 
peaceful and, and sanguine, you know, if it's if it if you if you're frowning and you're one of those groups, then you got a problem. I, I would agree with that. And then also say because he's added on these respect issues, you know, yeah. so if you're dangerous, you're disrespectful. So these people aren't just looking out for the flag. They are honoring the flag by bringing their guns. Mm. They, they are marching for the flag. We have to bear our arms because this is a second amendment. You're not going to take, you're not going to take our flag down. We're not going to let you kneel. We're not going to do all these things. So we have to go out there and posture and be more American and be more patriotic. And we have, and this is a positive value. And, and I think that adds on to this, this idea of, of, of getting people ramped up by mm-hmm. adding this, this warped sense of patriotism and nationalism to all these things they do. Because now it's just beyond just you're dangerous and I'm trying to protect mine. I'm, they're saying they can justify trying to protect everyone and the American, quote, the American way. So it's it's really problematic, and these are those stories. I mean, this is the that's those are those stories that Trump is weaving. I agree with yeah, you 100 percent on plays that. Out. I agree with both of you 100 percent, and that these two scenarios, these two ingredients, fit together perfectly. First, there's the element of creating this perception of a threat, right? Because they went to isn't they wouldn't go to a teddy bear conference or something like that armed to the teeth like that, right? right. The fact that they're going there armed. That means the prerequisite for that is that they they have to feel that these this group or whatever that's gathering here is some kind of a threat to our nation to our country, and then they can come in with a patriotic aspect, saying like you know we're here to basically save the day and defend the flag and defend our liberty and all that. So these two ingredients can't work without each other. I, I, yeah, that's totally right. Now, now let's let's go back a bit and explain this. Um you were talking about how it's kind of being left out, this idea that if there's, when it comes to uh, firearms and gun ownership mm-hmm. uh, from a psychological standpoint. Right. It is, to a great extent, psychological. I, I see Bubba's point as far as is it even necessary to have these weapons in the society. Yeah. That's kind of a separate question that we need to deal with. But the issue of once these weapons are out there, right, this is getting into a little bit of a theory in political science known as realism Mm -hmm. and which uh, understanding nuclear deterrence and all that stuff kind of stems from this psychological idea that, okay, there's there's a bunch of these powerful weapons out there. I know people have them, right? For me to either refuse to get that now puts me at a disadvantage. And for me to have it and then give it up that also puts me at a huge disadvantage. When I know these weapons are floating out there, mm-hmm. why wouldn't I also want to have that weapon and be at least you know up to par in my level of security as everyone else, right? right? So to to try to convince someone give up this assault rifle once you have it, or that yes, people in other states or people in other areas have it, but you're not you're not going to have it, is um, virtually impossible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> To like, put it bluntly, yeah, and, and that kind of goes back to this idea just from a just from a, uh, a common sense or the from as far as being able to empower yourself, uh, not even looking on a on a, a nation from a nation state standpoint, and, and just as individuals, right? Yeah. Why would you want to be the one guy 
who has no front door on his house. Everybody else has a door, and you're the only person without a door. Right, and, and to go back to the psychological aspect, the, the statistics means very little in a situation like this, right? Mm-hmm. If you learn martial arts, like yeah. I learned some martial arts, have I ever been, somebody tried to beat me up here in the loop? And I'm, no, it's never happened. Mm-hmm. But why do I still have the urge to learn that? Just in case. What if it does happen? You right. know, Same reason why people buy a handgun, right? Mm-hmm. Have you ever been robbed at gunpoint or whatever? Somebody ever tried to break in your house? For most people, no. Thank God, right? But they still, <laughs> for most people. Uh, I was raising my hand. <laughs> I have been robbed. But... Um, that does. If the answer is no, it still doesn't alleviate that psychological need, right? To yeah. satisfy what if? Because I know these dangers are out there. What if it were happen? I want to be prepared, right? So it is to a large, to a large extent, theoretical. It is to a large extent, just in case a what if type of situation. But nonetheless, um, no less psychologically powerful. Hmm. And, and speaking back to the to the psychological uh, pull and, and effect that. This has a, uh, there's an undercurrent of, um, ec- there's an economic undercurrent to this, which means that the more stories you tell about uh, the threats that are present, the more people are going to, uh, the more people are going to respond by going out and buying things to save them or protect themselves from those threats. So, and I know that the numbers, I know the numbers will attest to this, is that um, from uh, Trump's candidacy, you know, before he became president, uh, and 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 so on, I would, I mean, I don't bet, right? But I I, I would almost be absolutely, po- I'm, I'm positive that the the numbers for uh, gun purchases, uh, ammunition, that they have continued to go up. Well, one of the things I think I can play off of those is also the idea of having a liberty or some sort of freedom, yeah, and then taking that away. But you've got two sides on anything that that their liberties are at odds with each other. Mm-hmm. So you've got these protesters, or the, well, the gun-toting protesters, who, again, part of that liberty is to have my gun, to put this out there, so I can tell you what you need to do. Right. And then the flip side, you have people who are talking about freedom of religion free uh, and and freedom of speech on the other end saying we have gotten this far we've made strides in this country i'm not going to let you push back mm-hmm. so you've got these two elements at each other and they're going to clash because for there to be a winner someone has to give up something and you aren't putting people in a position where they're willing to compromise because they're they're heated right now it's a protest it's it's not a sit down discussion let me throw this out there to both of you so we we talked about uh, open carry in the sense of these protests right these types of meetings but what what is what are your feelings as far as open carry just in general if you walk into a grocery store i mean i've seen this in indiana um where the guy next to you is packing heat i don't i wouldn't like to see that honestly i don't want to i wouldn't like to live in a society where or a city i mean we have it in our society i wouldn't like to live in a city or an area where everyone is really assuming the worst about each other <laughs> you know assuming that the people at the grocery store are come and try to kill me or whatever I, I wouldn't want to live on edge like that 
Yeah. What what if the idea for caring is not so much an assumption that the majority of people that I'm around are out to do me harm, but that I will be there to help protect when that one random nut job mm-hmm. comes in. Yeah, but you don't need you don't need open carry for that. You could have concealed carry for that. They can say it's a, a deterrent for that <laughs> for that for said nut yeah. job. Yeah, I mean I I, I'm sort of the same like mindedness with in the sense of I just don't like to see these guns out there like it's the Wild West. I and it's maybe it's just an aesthetic or something like that, but I feel like it's just a lot of posturing, a lot of people trying to prove something who they are, and that that's not going to help when they really come down to it. It's just they're peacocks, they're pigeons. You know, they are puffing out their chests, <laughs> but but when it comes down to some crazy in the mall. First off, I don't know if that guy is even going to be any good with his gun. Right. Again, he's it's just got it for yeah. show. Yeah. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to be confident in anybody who I don't believe is trained in it. And then the people who are trained, I'm still not confident in them. But, <laughs> but I feel. I mean, honestly, I feel a little more secure with the security guard who's got the gun. I'm hoping they are trained in that. Versus, you know, grandma who's got her her sidearm. Right. And she's just shooting around crazy. So I, I'm I'm not a big fan of the open carry. It just goes my, against my perception of a Western society or any other civilized society. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it doesn't seem like it. Just seems so crazy to me that um, our sense of security in this society is should be built on the possibility of someone who's doing something wrong getting shot. You know, like uh, for me, the reason that we don't try to hurt each other is because we genuinely don't want to hurt each other. You know, right. it's not because the reason I don't hurt you is not because I'm afraid that you're going to shoot me or he's going to shoot me. The reason I don't hurt you is because I'm not supposed to, you know, it's just wrong. You know what right. I'm saying? There's a sense of self-accountability but that's you supposed think, to be there. Do you think that when you see somebody with open carry that there is a psychological um maybe a, 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 a message that's being sent that says that this person does not value life the same way that other people do or or they're willing to take someone's life. I, I mean, and I'll say this real quick because I feel like um, I was always, you know, taught you don't, you don't pull a gun if you're not going to use, you know what I mean? You don't, you don't carry weapons around. As a matter of fact, that's one of the, uh, and I'm I'm more of a proponent of the concealed carry as opposed to open carry, just because I feel like it it attracts it, it attracts a different element to you just to have that out there. But uh, what, what do you think? Yeah, I really don't think that those correlate. I mean, I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I just don't think that the that person would think less of life. Okay, I think it goes more to aesthetics. The yeah. same reason that guy has that gun out with the pearl handle grip, so everyone can see it. It's the same reason he's showing off the, again, Ferrari. He's got the car. He's, he's, it's something about trying to prove his masculinity. A big, huge, huge, huge pickup truck. Yeah, just, but, <laughs> but, yeah, but I just got to show it. Or, and I've taken martial arts too, yeah. um, that idea of just feeling like you can dominate somebody else without having to say a word. 
because I know I've been in conversations with people and when I was really doing the martial arts, I, I knew my moves and someone might be trying, they're yelling at me or trying to put me down. And all I'm thinking is I could just do a, a kick and knock you out. So just keep mm. on yelling because <laughs> I'm all right. Yeah. There's, there's, you could not beat me up. Sure. And I feel the same way, just that sense of security and masculinity and strength comes when you're carrying a weapon. So I don't feel like they value life less or more. I just feel it's more selfish. It's more about their ego. It, it insulates them from criticism. And, and it helps them feel more secure about themselves. Hmm. I agree. That's definitely an element of it. Um, now, can we separate that element from the other element that we were talking about earlier, the psychological aspect of, you know, just wanting to have the same capacity to hurt other people as other people have to hurt you? Like, can we separate the two? I, I don't know. Uh, separate that, that, that fear from the, from the aesthetic, you know, uh, attraction of, of wanting to, to posture. Yeah. Yeah, I actually I think that those are two very two very different uh, things because when it comes to the idea of protecting oneself, it's really not. Sometimes it is about letting people know up front, this is what I have. So if you come in, then you know expect whatever. But other times it's 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 about just knowing you have the capability to uh, to meet uh, an attacker to you know to protect your home. Uh, and that depends on the individual. Some folks are really, they're much more rooted in letting the world see what they have, right? It's got to be in their driveway uh, as opposed to um, what's in their home. But going back to your what prompted this segment, yet, yeah. again, I still don't think that makes a person less um, cherish life any less by just having that instrument. Now, of course... I might be wrong because we would not have a Black Lives Matter movement if, if I felt it. Well, if everyone felt that people who had guns valued life the same way. So my belief is that when you have a when you carry a, a firearm, and I, I did for, for some years, um, when you carry a firearm, you have to have in your mind well, two things: one, there's a prayer that you don't have to use it, and then also be prepared to use it. Uh, it is not. Uh, it is it is a great weight on you uh, to to walk around with that. If you're a person who does value life, and as Ibrahim, as you mentioned, you know the idea that I don't want to hurt people because I'm not supposed to, and it absolutely goes completely against that uh, to have that capability to hurt somebody and, and and hurt somebody in a way that is possibly irreparable. So, I don't think it's a maybe a um, uh, like a, a villainous type of disregard for life but it is a regard for life that puts you you squarely you know in the center right or at the top to say that whatever I got to do and it's kind of like a law enforcement mentality they say when they get on uh, they start the shift well as long as you come home as long as we get home and we have the, the weapons we have the means to make sure that other people don't get in the way of that objective so i mean yeah so it's not i don't think it's a um a cut and dry thing um 
but but I, I definitely do believe it's something that um, that will will be I think wrestling with because there's no pretty there's no pretty uh, bow to wrap on this one. I just think there needs there has to be a deeper reason for each individual in society to act in an upright way rather than just the fear of being shot. You know, if that if you only think, and this is really where a sense of uh, of, of having a proper perspective on this life comes into being. If yeah. you believe that this is all that there is, uh, then you will you will invest everything that you have into the protection of this life. Not to say that it's not something to to, to deal with uh, lightly, but I do believe in, in having having this this understanding that there is a life. There's more than just this present life. There's a life to come after this. And there's responsibility. I mean, when we say, you know, the Quran says, you know, if, uh, we're talking about the children of Israel, you know, it's if you save one life, it's as, if, it's, it's as if you have saved an entire nation, entire people, right? But And to, and to take one life, it, as, it, it is as if you have taken the life of an entire people. That's, if you believe that type, if you believe that, uh, then that's a real, that, that's, that's its own deterrent. I'm just saying those. With conce- <laughs> and I, again, it's, I feel like if you if you're concealing a gun, yeah, that's more for personal safety. When you're showing it, it's again more posturing. Yeah. And if you're walking around showing an AK or AR-15, you need help. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to agree with that. All right, Radio Islam family, we're going to take a short break. A short break. Uh, We will be back in just a minute. It's 6.42 p.m. Time for Steve Plato and his son Dylan to do the dishes. They talk about everything from the yuckiness of girls to the awesomeness of his soccer team. Sometimes they don't talk at all. Then, the dreaded splash fight. It's dad o'clock, and it's the best time of the day. Because the smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Oh, hi. Right now, I'm getting a remarkably heartfelt bear hug from Smokey Bear. Thanks, big guy. Now, if you could let me down... See, I made sure there were no low-hanging branches when I set up my campfire. And before we left, I drowned out my campfire, stirred it, drowned it out again, then made sure it was cold. (laughs) Visit SmokeyBear.com to learn tips to prevent wildfires. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. The Syrian Community Network, with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location, located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872 806-0141 that's area code 872-806-0141 or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org
Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. If you are just tuning in, you can keep up with us on social media by looking for us at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And make sure to take a moment to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get yours at. You will find us at Radio Islam USA. All right, folks. Uh, this is a great time for us to go ahead and get into the jobs report. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, yes, this is a great time to get into the jobs report uh, with our friends over at the Chicago Urban League. Uh, we check in with employment specialist extraordinaire Kimberly S. Pearson, and she gives us the rundown on what jobs are available in the Chicagoland area. So we've got her on the line. Kim? Hi, Tariq. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am good. Good. So you got some uh, good news for these job seekers out here? I do. I have a lot of exciting opportunities to discuss. Um, and before I get started, I just wanted to say that a couple of these positions um, are positions where they are looking to hire immediately. And I will give our contact information at the end for anyone um, who has questions about how to get their application submitted and definitely considered. Uh, so first up, I have the University of Chicago's uh, School of Public Policy. They are looking to fill a few different positions, one being a marketing coordinator and another being the associate director of employer partnerships. So there are the job descriptions for both of those positions are very long, however, uh, very lucrative positions and opportunities. I have a meeting set up to go and talk with the employer more, but for now, uh, for anyone that's interested in applying, you can go to uchicago.edu forward slash jobs and click on staff, and then you would click on search for staff opportunities under external applicants and make sure to submit your resume, your cover letter, and for jobs in higher ed, it's always good to also maybe upload a transcript if you have one available, uh, especially depending on the position that you're applying for. Uh, next up, I have United Credit Union. They're looking for branch managers, tellers, and loan processors uh, for Chicago offices on both the west and north side locations. And so if you're interested in those jobs, you can go to unitedcreditunion.com and click on career opportunities to see a full list. They're looking for tellers at a few different locations. And then I think I saw branch managers. The uh, manager sent the link over to me, and it had about eight or nine openings. So definitely go ahead and apply for uh, those. And when you are looking at the referral source, there's an area where you can enter other and put in Chicago Urban League. So definitely uh, let the employer know that you heard about the position with us. Next up, I have New Schools for Chicago slash Kids First Chicago. They're looking for a data analyst position for all those IT people out there that's looking for employment. Uh, this position is pretty lucrative. Pay is 45 to 55K a year. Um, and in this position, the data analyst would be responsible for developing, uh, rolling out, monitoring, and improving data systems for the organization New Schools for Chicago. Uh, so this person is someone who does need to provide critical analysis through partnerships 
tip to better interpret data and use data to identify micro and my, uh, macro levels of policy improvements. So you've got to have a strong eye for data and how to interpretate those numbers and what they mean. If you're interested in applying for that position, um, you can submit your resume and cover letter to jobs at kidsfirstchicago.org. And then next up, our uh, favorite partners at the Hilton, they have tons of uh, awesome opportunities open. Uh, the Doubletree Magnificent Mal has an Assistant Director of Finance position open. Uh, the, uh, I'm sorry, the Palmer House has a Director of Food and Beverage, a Senior Events Manager, and a Senior Business Travel Sales Manager position. So lots of opportunities there. I can send over that full list of openings as well. And because we are partners with the Hilton, definitely feel free to enter uh, Chicago Urban League in the referral area as well for them. Well, thank you very much as always. Absolutely. Um, Always a pleasure. Yeah. And in a short week, too. So folks don't have a whole lot of time to uh, to sit on those uh, on those leads. Yes, right. absolutely. And I'll have more exciting ones to share with you all next week. OK, looking forward to it. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you. Same to you, Tariq. Take right. care. Bye bye, Kim. Bye bye. All right. That is our jobs report for the week. Now, remember, we know not everybody is looking. But you probably know someone who is. So make sure that you do the right thing and share, share, share. All right. um, Where do we go from here? Uh, Family, one of the things that we do want to mention, because we've touched on uh, the the ISNA convention and how they have been met with um, with armed resistance and protests that would not have been tolerated had it been against any other people. And I think that in itself is cause for alarm. Uh, it's cause for concern. And it's an indicator that the plan to dehumanize uh, and disenfranchise Muslims as a, as a group, it is, it is taking hold. Um, and it's, and it's taking hold with regard to media representation. I don't mean that it's taking hold in the hearts of the of the average human being, of the average American, because one of the things that we saw in that uh, in that whole exchange was that there were people, there were allies who came to the aid of the Muslims that came to defend against Islamophobia, defend against prejudice and intolerance and, and, and racism and bigotry. So that in itself is a good thing. That is one of the, the things that we draw inspiration from. But this is a critical point in time, uh, as all times are. They're all critical. There's never a time where it's just going to be you can just, you know, just walk off the job. That time does not exist, has never existed. Uh, and nor should we think that that's the time now. So that being said, we're coming up on meaningful elections. And um, once again, not, you know, just a, a qualifying statement that all elections, all of our elections, they are meaningful. Uh, and they have they have uh, captured our attention at, at different rates. 
But at this point where we're at now, this is a time where we have to make sure that we are engaged in the process, that we are making sure that our voices are being heard uh, and that we are showing up and showing out. So uh, we've got some critical races around around the country. Uh, We are looking for a a legislative body that is going to be responsive to the needs of a pluralistic society, uh, one that realizes that what we once were is not what we are today, nor is it what we are, uh, what we may be tomorrow. So there's there are arguments where people feel left out. Um, and I don't know, I don't think it's necessarily uh, in a, a majority, but there are people who, you know, they talk about feeling left out. They talk about feeling like the place they knew, the country they knew, the privilege that they enjoyed is no longer. And that's really the bottom line. There's a an element of privilege that is no longer as attainable or apparent for some folks. And that is distressing for them. But that's not my problem. That's not your problem. Um, at its best, what America represents, it is an egalitarian uh, ideal that if you work hard, that if you try, that if you do your best, um, that you can succeed. Now, we know that the truth is, the truth is, is a long way from that, that we know that favoritism, we know that nepotism, we know that privilege has paid, has played a large role in the wealth that is amassed uh, by a, a select few in this country. Uh, privilege has been put to work in uh, as a psychological, as a psychological weapon. Um, what's the old saying? It says, um, <clears throat> "Excuse me." It says something. Something to the effect says that um, they had no food in their bellies. They had no food to put in their bellies, so they were they were content to eat Jim Crow. Right, talking about uh, the the impoverished whites. Of, of the South, you know, in a system where they, too, were distressed. They, too, were uh, denied the fruits of their labor. But they were given a psychological, a psychological, um, not a weapon, but, you know, they were fed psychologically. But we've come to a point now where we realize that this, uh, this psychological um meal that there's not much to it but it sure does make people do uh some some really some really strange uh and uh unconscionable things so this is a critical time and this is a time for people of faith of conscience uh to step to step forward and that's what we're going to be calling for uh we're going to be giving more information about our upcoming dinner. Uh, our keynote speaker is going to be Linda Sarsour, um, a, a very valuable voice uh, for the Muslim community, um, exemplifying what it is to, uh, to, to build coalitions, to work, uh, to have allies. Uh, and this is, an important, this is an important tradition that many of us come from, uh, represent, and continue to to model for the generations coming behind us. So we'll be talking more about that uh, as we get closer and closer to it. But folks, stay woke, stay woke, stay woke, pay attention, show up. 
Do not let this election pass you by. Uh, don't think that your voice does not count, that it does not matter, because it does. We need all hands on deck. Okay. That being said, it's time for us to get out of here. We thank you for tuning in, as always. Uh, we thank our engineers over at WCEV for making sure we come through loud and clear. And we thank we thank you once again. So I'm your host and producer, uh, engineer for the evening, Tariq Alameen. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and or guest are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. And with that, we're going to leave you good people as we left, as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.